Hey guys. How are we doing tonight? Are we doing good? Awesome. Well, uh, my name is Tina and uh, I'm the young adult coordinator here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We are glad uh, that you have joined us. And uh, especially for tonight, we're starting our brand new series called The Desert. Yes, it's exciting. Um, and uh, the reason we felt led to do this series is because if you look at the scriptures, there's a lot that goes down in the desert. Moses spent 40 years in the desert. Elijah lived in the desert. John the Baptist spent most of his adult life in the desert. Paul spent three years in the Arabian desert. And Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the desert. There's clearly something to say about the desert. And over the course of the next four weeks, we are going to be going through four different aspects that we see from the scriptures regarding the desert. And our hope and prayer is that God would use this series to speak to you. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 22, but uh, you can turn to Exodus chapter 15 while you're there. Let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to bless our time tonight. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we come before you tonight. God, we ask that you would move in and through this place. God, we ask that you would speak to each one of us in the room. God, I ask that uh, you would help me to be sensitive to your spirit tonight. God, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Lord, we are eager to hear from you. We get to hear from you. God, thank you for your word. Lord, prepare our hearts now. We love you and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, a few years back, I had one of our young adults here at Everlast ask me to go on a hike with her here in Colorado Springs. And so my immediate question, which is a normal question, how hard's the hike? And she reassured me, dude, super easy. You won't have a problem. No worries. You'll be fine. So I'm like, all right, I'm in. So we met up at the spot, uh, park our cars, we start walking, and uh, honestly, it wasn't too bad of a hike at first, right? I was keeping up with her holding down her pace, good to go. Then after about 15 minutes, it starts to get a little harder, right? We start to have a little bit more incline, a little bit more terrain, and I can tell my heart is starting to pump a little faster. And, uh, but I thought, well, she said it was easy, so maybe it's just like a really short part of the hike. Maybe it, is, it isn't that long. And so we keep walking, and this hike gets steeper and steeper and steeper. And after about 20 minutes of just straight incline, I stop and I look at her completely out of breath. And I'm like, hey, so like, how much farther do we have? And I'll never forget this moment because she looks at me and goes, okay, well, honestly, I don't know. Like, I thought I've done this hike before, but I'm not recognizing anything, so I'm really not sure where we're even at. Everlast, listen, I can tend to be a little bit of a warrior, and so I'm like trying to stay calm. Keep in mind, we had no water, 
no food, because obviously I'm a rookie. It was like right when we moved to Colorado Springs. And it was supposed to be a quick, easy, simple hike. The place was completely desolate. No one was around to ask for help. There were no signs. And so I'm now in full-on panic mode. And so all I know to do is I'm just going to start walking super fast to just trying to get to some high ground so we can see where we were. All the while, in my mind, I'm going to the extreme worst of the worst case scenarios, right? This is it. We are going to die. We're lost. No one is going to find us. I'm going to starve to death because we didn't bring any food or water. It's about to get dark, which means bears, bobcats, pretty sure there's mountain lions in Colorado Springs. And so if we make it through the night, it's going to be a miracle. And just as I'm starting to kind of like hyperventilate a little bit, we make it up over this hill and we look up to the right and we see the end of the trail. And as we get to the top, we, we look out, and y'all, it really was one of the most beautiful, breathtaking views I had ever seen. Now, why share this story? Well, the reason is because oftentimes, God will lead you into the desert to see how you respond. Oftentimes, God will lead you into the desert to see how you respond when a little bit of adversity comes your way, when you experience a little bit of ambiguity not knowing where you're going. God will at times lead you into the desert to test you, to see what comes out of you, to see how you respond. And we see this play out specifically in Exodus chapter 15 with God's own people. And let me just give you some context, uh, what's previously happened before we dive in to Exodus chapter 15. God's people have been set free and rescued from under the hand of Pharaoh. The Israelites have just witnessed a mighty work of God, right? He parts the Red, Seas, uh, the Red Sea as the Egyptians are pursuing after the Israelites. But God caused confusion among them, causing their chariots to swerve, making it difficult to drive. Then God has Moses stretch out his hand, causing the waters to consume the Egyptians. All the while, God's people were brought through the waters dry and safe. And then in chapter 15... It says God's people then break out in praise, in worship through song, singing, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. That they can't help but praise the Lord and praise, and this praise break goes on for a while. It actually takes up majority of chapter 15. And now we find ourselves in verse 22, in which now God leads his people into the wilderness. And we're about to see how God's people respond when they hit a little bit of ambiguity, a little bit of adversity. Starting in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. For that reason, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. 
There he made for them a statue and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, and listen to his commandments, and keep all his statues, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So let's just put ourselves in the Israelite shoes for a second, right? We just came out of a major praise break, worshiping God, proclaiming who he is, fully trusting him. Then God leads us into a place of uncomfortability with some ambiguity. Day one hits, no water, right? And you're probably thinking at this point, man, I'm kind of a little thirsty. You're feeling a little thirsty. But God just delivered us from the hand of Pharaoh, We just saw him part the Red Sea. Like, I I think we'll be fine. Then day two comes. Again, no water. Some of us in the room would be, at this point, starting to get a little nervous, right? We'd start to get a a little bit worried, starting to question, is is he going to provide? Surely he wouldn't lead us out here to die. Day three hits. You wake up. No water. And now you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure humans can only go, like, three days without water. I think, in fact, he, he may be trying to kill us. I mean, I just saw him destroy the Egyptians. Why wouldn't he destroy me? Right, right, crazy thoughts start taking place. And so you finally come to Mara, and imagine that, right? You've been panicking just for a little bit, or for some of us, a lot, and then you see water. Instant relief, right? You can, you can take a breath, and you go to drink it, and you can't. It's too bitter. And this must have been some bitter water to go three days and not be able to even stand the taste of it. You know after three days they would be very parched, very thirsty, yet you don't want any part of it. And in this moment, you have two options. You can trust God or not. Those are the two options when facing adversity. I can trust God or not. And how you respond to that trial is going to reflect what you believe. How would you respond? The Israelites' response was with complaining, right? It only took three days with the Israelites having no water from going just days before seeing God do this mighty miracle to praising God from their lips, declaring, he is my strength and my song, to now responding with grumbling from those very same lips. And that's interesting, right? Because it would be one thing if they've never experienced God's faithfulness. That they had never seen him perform any kind of a miracle. That then you maybe could empathize why they responded in the way that they did. But that's not what happened. Right? They just witnessed days before God flex. And I mean flex big. Wouldn't you think that they would trust the God who just saved them? Yet their response in verse 24 Moses, what are we going to do? What are we going to drink? And notice the approach. It wasn't like, hey, Moses, uh, we're kind of thirsty. Do you think we could get some water? No, it says they grumbled. What are we going to do? What are we going to drink? And I'd like to think that none of us uh, in the room would respond that way. But we do. We do the same thing. Right? When trials come our way, when adversity hits, sometimes our, re- our immediate response is to worry, 
to fear. We get angry. We doubt. We question, right? We complain. And if you don't believe me, go back through your text messages, especially after you just ended an awesome night at Everlast, right? Singing your little heart out. Some of y'all getting it, love it, it's great. See if you complain three days later. See if on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you scroll through and you're like, gosh, I hate work. Dude, my boss is horrible. I hate this class. This test is ridiculous. And for some of us, we have a lot to say. We come home from work and your roommate asks, dude, how was your day? Or your spouse asks, how was your day? And you're like, it was okay, but this happened and then this happened. And man, I'm just like really frustrated with this. And so-and-so did this. And I mean, I really just can't stand them. And then, and then you go on and on. And before long, 30 minutes goes by. And all you've done is complain. And listen, I'm preaching to myself here. Complaining is a normal human response. It's not like a weird thing that you do and no one else does. When things don't go our way, when adversity hits, your human response is going to want to complain. Now notice I said it's a normal human response. I didn't say it is a right human response. Just because it's a natural tendency doesn't mean it's right. And as believers in Christ, we are called to respond differently. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Right? God gives us new hearts. And our response to trials, adversity, different tests should then reflect that. Right? There should be a noticeable difference in how we respond because of our new hearts in Jesus. And if you're a believer in the room, what you speak and what you say should reveal and show a heart that is completely transformed by him. I love how one author said it. He said, our words are from a tongue moved by the heart. Our response to trials will expose our heart in the trial. Everlast, God will lead you into the wilderness to test you, to expose what's going on inside of you. And that really is the point of test, right? Whether you are a college student or you're taking a test for a job, tests are designed to show and reveal something. That, that's the purpose of tests. We may not like them, but they're not pointless. They're designed to show and reveal something. And as believers, we go through similar tests. God will bring us tests, lead us into the desert to show and reveal something. And a great question to ask is, how have you done on your tests? How's your response been lately? To complain or to worship? What does my response show? Because here's the thing when it comes to complaining. Here's what complaining exposes in us. It's not just that complaining is bad or complaining isn't really necessarily an attractive thing, so we shouldn't do it. Complaining, some, complaining shows something serious going down in our hearts. A complaining heart exposes a heart that has discontentment towards its maker. A complaining heart is really just a heart complaining about God. Now, that may seem a little extreme, 
You may be thinking, Tina, no, I'm not complaining about God. I'm complaining about my boss who is difficult and hard to work with. I'm not complaining about God. I'm complaining about my messy roommate who never cleans up after themselves. I'm not complaining about God. I'm complaining that I cannot find a godly man or woman up in this place. But Moses, in the very next chapter in Exodus 16, talks about this. And lo and behold, the people of God, the Israelites, start complaining again. again. And this time it's about food, which honestly changes for some of y'all. Some of you think, well, that's fair, right? I can go without water, but you keep me from food like it's going to get ugly. Right? That's, that's the true test. Limit someone with food. So that's what happens. God tests them to see how they will do without food. And the Israelites do not respond well. They complain. And they don't just complain, but they complain against Moses. Like, it's your fault. And Moses responds with, I don't know why you are grumbling against us. Who you are really complaining about is the Lord. Exodus 16.8 says, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. The people of Israel go to complain to Moses about not having any food. And he's like, I don't know why you're complaining to us. Really, what you are doing is complaining against God. And it's the same with water, right? They don't go to God about having no water. They go and complain to Moses. And Everlast, to complain about your circumstance is to complain about the maker. And let me just give you an example. My niece is six. She loves arts and crafts. Like, she loves to make things. Imagine if she came up to me and she was like, hey, Aunt Chrissy, I made you this. And my response was, yeah, I don't really like it. Like, it's not that good. Yes, dang, right? That would be horrible. I would hurt her feelings, right? She would be very upset. Why? Because she made it. If you critique the book, you're critiquing the author. If you critique the circumstance, you're critiquing the maker. And what's happening here with the Israelites is they are criticizing their circumstances. I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't have it. Do something. What are we going to eat? And they aren't talking to God about it. Instead, they are complaining against him. Their response is showing and exposing a heart that is really just displeased with God. And when the Lord leads you into the desert, into the wilderness, adversity hits, what's your response? And then ask yourself, what is my response revealing? How am I responding? What is my response revealing? What is it exposing? Everlast, God will test you to expose you. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And here's the thing, and this is really important for us to know. God doesn't test us so that he can figure out, okay, so like where's Tina at right now? 
Does she trust me? Does she not? Like, where is she at with her faith? No, God is all-knowing. He, he already knows our hearts. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Right? He's all-knowing. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts right now in this very moment. And he doesn't bring you into the wilderness because he's trying to figure out what's going on in your heart. No, he leads you into the desert because we need to know what's going down in our hearts. He tests us not so that our faith is revealed to him, but that our faith is revealed to us. Um, my grandma, I call her Meemaw, uh, she is an amazing woman of the Lord, loves Jesus, like reads her Bible every morning, goes to church every Sunday, just like full on living her life for the Lord. And all that to say this past July, she got diagnosed with uh, four different types of cancer and she's currently on hospice. And so I had the chance to uh, go visit her a couple weeks ago. And it's crazy because uh, when we saw her, she's, she's pretty weak, right? She's not eating a whole lot uh, or able to really stand on her own. And yet all the while her body is failing her, her faith is not. She actually had um, the hospice chaplain come visit her. And he said, man, how, how are you doing with everything? And she said, I'm ready to see Jesus, but I'm not ready to die. And he said, yeah, that's the head and the heart. And uh, he said, the heart is, I'm ready to see Jesus, but the head is, man, dying isn't going to be fun. And she said, yeah, I've taught Sunday school for a really long time. And she said, one day, you know, we asked the kids, uh, who wants to go to heaven? And she said, all the little kids raised their hand but one. And she said, Johnny, you don't want to go to heaven? And he looked up at my Meemaw and said, are we talking about today? Right? <laughs> and I love that story because his heart's like, hey, like, I'm all about Jesus, but like, we, today? You know? And I share that story because in the midst of my grandma's suffering, her eyes are on Jesus. In the midst of her being in the desert, her eyes are on Jesus. She has a choice to run after him or not. She has a choice to respond with trust in God or lack thereof. I love uh, the parable of the sower because it really just illustrates this so well. Uh, Matthew 13, Jesus is telling this parable while on a boat and uh, to the crowds on the beach who were gathered around to hear him. And in this parable, Jesus goes on to explain uh, that there was a sower which is someone who scatters seeds. And so the sower goes out to scatter seeds, and as the seeds fell, Jesus goes on to explain that some seeds had different outcomes. And one outcome in particular, it says in verse 5, uh, that, the seeds, uh, that these other seeds fell on rocky ground, 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Jesus goes on to explain that the seeds represent the word of God, and that those particular seeds that we just read about, Jesus says, what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation, trials, ambiguity, persecution arise on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Meaning everlast, there are those who hear the word of God, receive it with joy, but as soon as trials hit, as soon as testing comes their way, their response is, see ya. Everlast, God will lead you into the wilderness to see if you respond by staying the course. Or yeah, I don't really like it. Not a fan of adversity. I think I'm going to run the other way. And here's the thing. God doesn't lead us into the desert because he's mean or out to get us. Right? He doesn't test us because he's trying to trick us. He does this for our good so that we are refined and that we become more like him. God knows our hearts, and he knows what issues are going down in them. And in order to bring those into the light, he sometimes has to test us. He sometimes will lead you into the desert. So that when you get squeezed, you see what comes out. It's like the good uh, old toothpaste analogy, which you may have heard before. But when you apply pressure to a tube of toothpaste, it gets squeezed Bubble gum or mint is going to come out. It's just like us. God will apply some pressure in our lives, a.k.a. trials, adversity, ambiguity, for you to see what comes out. And oftentimes what comes out isn't good. It's sinful, right? There's some idolatry there that is getting exposed. There's some control issues going on. There's some pride that's there. There's some discontentment happening in our hearts. And God wants those things to be exposed. Why? Because the whole point of toothpaste is to get the paste out. God wants to expose things to refine you so that when it comes out of you, it stays out of you. 1 Peter 1, uh, 6 through 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even Job said in Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me. I will come forth as gold. And there's an analogy here that is being referenced Right? In order for gold to be refined, you have to turn up the heat. In fact, Peter here is using an analogy of an ancient goldsmith with a smelting furnace. And what happens is the goldsmith lets the liquid gold bubble up and fire up. It gets really hot. And what happens then is that when the gold reaches a certain temperature, the impurities float to the top. And then he takes a skimmer and skims them off. He completely removes the impurities. 
And he continues this process until the gold is more valuable. And God does that with us. He gives us a a trial to reveal what's going on in our heart. And when he does that, those impurities are revealed, brought to the surface. So he can then what? Remove them. He exposes those things to get them out, to stay out. And what's even cooler about this process is that the goldsmith knew when the refining process was over is when he could lean over the pot of boiling gold and see his reflection. Everlast. You want to know when the trials will be done in your life is when God the Father looks and sees his son reflection in you. That's why we're probably most likely, yes, going to have them for the rest of our lives. Because the impurities in our faith hinder our fullest experience of the goodness and greatness of God. And so God designs to refine our faith with the fires of trial and distress. His aim in leading us into the desert, leading us into the wilderness, is to test us, to expose us, so then that we would repent and therefore become more like him. And God cares enough for us that at times he leads us into the desert when it's necessary. God doesn't want us to stay the same, right? He wants us to become sanctified. He wants us to grow. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything, right? Our faith is to mature, to to be strengthened and to grow. We are never to become stagnant, right? We haven't arrived. And as long as we are here on earth, we are continuing to be sanctified, set apart, met with trials in the wilderness, so that through those various afflictions, we grow. The Lord tests us so that our response shows one of maturity and growth, and I don't, know, uh, I don't know if there's any exercise enthusiasts in the room, like you like working out, building muscle, getting toned, right? Uh, but in order for muscle to grow, they have to tear, right? Exercise scientists, I looked this up, say that the way muscles grow is that when you exercise, you are literally producing little tears in the muscle. And when your body recovers, it builds back muscle in those gaps, and the muscle gets bigger and stronger. And it's the same way with us when we are tested in our faith. The only way it grows and becomes stronger is when it's strained. God tests us to grow us. And our response in the desert should change. Right? Our response should show and reveal a heart that is being transformed by Jesus. Everlast, we are not meant to stay in the desert place forever. We aren't meant to stay, reside, or take up permanent residence in the wilderness. We're meant to move through it. Everlast, when tests come your way, God and his loving kindness brings things into the light so that we repent, turn away from our old ways, and become more like Jesus. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And because of Jesus, because of his perfect life here on earth, because of his death on the cross for our sins, 
as he bore the wrath of God, and then three days later, later resurrected, we, are in, who, we who are in Christ are completely forgiven. And because of that, God's grace meets us in the desert. Right? God is with us in the trials. He, he doesn't leave or forsake us. He leads us, we follow, and he reveals what needs to be brought into the light, again, so that we can become more like him. And, and this should be comforting to us, Right, that, that God cares enough to not leave us where we're at. Right? He's for our good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things include the desert. All things include the wilderness. And let me just lastly encourage you with this. God doesn't just... Uh, God doesn't just... God doesn't leave you alone in the, in the wilderness, right? He's right there with us. I love Psalm 23, 4, which says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No matter what our desert or wilderness season looks like, God doesn't intend for you to walk them alone. And there may be some of you in the room tonight going through a trial, right? Your faith is currently being tested. You are currently in the desert. And let me just encourage you with this. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Kevin, um, actually came into, uh, when I, into the office today when I was writing this message. And honestly, just being known with y'all, I mean, we've just been going through uh, some adversity, just some pretty frustrating things. And, um, and let me just say this, it's okay to be frustrated, right? You can be sad. You, you can be upset. That, that's not sinful. But how we respond to our frustration can be. How we respond to us being upset can be sinful. I heard it once said, life isn't so much about what happens to you as it is more about how you respond to what happens to you. And so anyways, Kevin comes and uh, talks to me and he said, Tina, uh, we don't have kids yet. And he said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a dad just yet here on earth. And he said, but I can imagine that when we do have kids, there are going to be things that frustrate them things that they don't understand, and, like, and then as their father, I can look at them and say, trust me, I got you, I have this. You can't see what's going on, but I'm for you. I'm near. And Everlast, it's the same with us. God is saying, trust me, I got this, I have you. Even in the trial, he has us, he holds us. Everlast, would we lean on the Lord to help us when trials come our way? Would we seek him when he tests us? And in the moments when he decides as a good dad that it's necessary for our good to lead us into the desert, to lead us into the wilderness, would our response be one of trust and praise? Everlast, may we expose a heart that is one of full trust in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.